0: Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorce. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. I want to to do some teaching tonight on intercessory prayer. Now we're still talking about the Holy Spirit because the Bible speaks about that when we don't know what to pray, then the Holy Spirit can pray for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. But I want to talk about intercessory prayer. I want to talk about letting the Holy Spirit pray through us. I want to talk about interceding on behalf of others. I feel like that this is the direction the Lord wants us to go. And we're doing it like this tonight because I'm going to try to be done by hopefully about 8.15 and then they're going to put some worship music on in the back and we're going to spend the last 15 or 20 minutes in prayer together. Is that okay? All right. I think we need to do that. I think that we need to become more of a praying church, obviously. But let's begin in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll begin reading verse 1 and we'll go uh, verses 1 through 6 there. Paul was writing to Pastor Timothy who was the uh, pastor of the church at Ephesus, and he said, "I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, And for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. And God, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to declare your word tonight. I pray that you would touch me to be able to effectively communicate. Touch the ears of the hearers to hear. May our spirits be open to receive the word of God. And Father, I pray that intercession would begin to activate inside of us. Those of us that are involved in intercession, I pray that we would become more empowered through this teaching and this training tonight. Father, we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said Amen. Amen. I, had, I had a video that I, I was going to share, but I decided not to for the sake of time. It was four or five minutes long. But it was children praying. Children praying in a different country. And there were hundreds of them. And you just feel the power of God as they was just raising their voice up unto the Lord. John G. Lake, how many's ever heard of John G. Lake? John G. Lake. Uh, said this he said when you hear the children travail know that Jesus has a foot in the door when you know when you hear the children travail know that Jesus has a foot in the door Doug Small Dr. Doug Small was here a couple of years ago and he did a weekend of prayer and we advertised and pushed and promoted and and tried to get people to come to it, and we got a total of 25 people to come to this conference that we put together for Doug Small. One of the most powerful statements that he made, I think, was this. He said, We don't need a church with a prayer ministry. We need a praying church. We don't need a church with a prayer ministry. We need a a praying church. And so many times we talk about, Well, I want to join the prayer ministry. Well, We should be a praying church. After all, Jesus said, My house shall be called a house of prayer. A house of prayer. And so prayer is very important to Jesus. Prayer is very important to the Father. Intercessory prayer, in my opinion, is probably the highest calling of God. I think it's a higher calling than teaching the word. I think it's a higher calling than preaching. I think it's a higher calling than singing. I think it's a higher calling than evangelizing. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because through intercessory prayer, you can tear down strongholds over regions, over nations. The church could literally change the trajectory of the nation if they would pray. The Bible says in, in, in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then while I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and then listen, and I will heal their land. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. And that's why the enemy tries his best to minimize it. Now listen, let me say something to you about prayer, okay? You can go to church on Sunday, and you can worship, and you can praise, and... You can listen to the Word and you can pay your tithe and and, and God's tithe. You can give that to Him and you can do all of those things. You can participate and you can do the same thing on Wednesday night. But if that's all of the communication that you have with God during the week, it's not enough. It's not enough. We need to communicate with God. We need to be in a state of constant communication. So what is intercession? If intercessory prayer is the highest calling of God, what is intercession? According to the Full Life Bible, intercession may be defined as holy, believing, persevering prayer, whereby someone pleads with God on behalf of another or others who desperately need God's intervention. Now, I will uh, just take one little little case with that definition. I really don't think that we need to be pleading with God. I think we need to take our position and speak with authority and intercede in that way, by speaking the word of God over situations in people's life. But in in other words, intercession can be defined as holy, believing, persevering prayer whereby we intercede for others, taking our spiritual positions of authority and activating the hand of God in the earth. We're We're not going to get anything from God of any substance at all by pleading with Him. Pleading with Him. Because, you know, I mean, we don't have to plead with Him to forgive us of our sins. He's already done that. We don't have to plead with Him to heal our bodies. He's already done that. We don't have to plead with Him to make us prosperous. He's already done that. We don't have to plead with Him for favor. He's already done that. He's already paid the price for whatever we need. But we have to activate it through words of faith, through consistent words of faith, through consistent confession, and thereby intercede on behalf of others. The intercessor is one who takes the place of another. When when you pray in this way, you are interceding. So the biblical basis of intercession, we find that the New Testament believers' ministry of intercessory prayer is our calling as priests unto God. Now, uh, go with me to to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter. See if you can find it there. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 5. Y'all with me? The Bible says, verse number 5, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So the Bible calls us, the New Testament church, a holy priesthood. A holy priesthood, that means that we have access to the Father on behalf of others. That's what a priest did in the Old Testament. They had access on behalf of God and on behalf of the others. We have, they, they had access to God on behalf of others. Now when the Bible calls us a holy priesthood in the New Testament even though the veil was written in twain from the top to the bottom not to let God out but to let us in even though the the veil was written in twain from the top to the bottom when Jesus died on Calvary even though that happened that doesn't mean that the priesthood ended. No, it just shifted course. So now the church, the ecclesia, the assembly of called out ones those that are now called by His names become a holy priesthood. We become a holy nation whereby we have access on behalf of others to approach the throne of God which makes us an intercessor. Then the Bible, if you go on verse number 9, we could go on and and keep reading there, but if you go on to verse number 9 it says it again, it says, but you're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. So now we're not just the priesthood of the Old Testament which was a priesthood of genetics or a priesthood of the law, but we are a royal priesthood. How come we're a royal priesthood? What does it mean to be a royal priesthood? Let's think about this for a minute, okay? What does it mean to be a royal priesthood? That means that we have the DNA of royalty inside of us and the king and the priest have come together. So now we are a kingdom of priests in the kingdom of our Father. Therefore we become a royal priesthood so when we pray on behalf of others invoking the name of Jesus and taking our authority, then that means instead of just praying, Lord, let us have some candy, that means we can enter into the candy store and say, Lord, I thank you for this candy, and as a royal priest, reach out and grab it and bring it back out with us. You see see what I'm saying? You understand what that means? So there's a difference in Old Testament priesthood and royal priesthood. Royal priesthood is coming boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy, to find grace to help us in the time of need. The royal priesthood gets us not just in front of God, but it gets us around God's activity as a participant because we are part of the family. We are a son of God. We have sonship rights, we have ownership rights, which means we have authority which means we have identity. So when the Bible said you're a chosen generation and a royal priesthood, what he was saying was the New Testament church has been chosen by God to not only operate priestly principles, but I'm also going to give them the power of the king, the authority of the king. So I'm a chosen generation. I'm a royal priesthood. And then the Bible says that we are a holy nation and a peculiar people that we should show forth the praises of Him who's called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So the biblical basis of intercession is found in the New Testament as the ministry of intercessory prayer becomes the calling of the New Testament church. And God calls us not just to intercessory prayer, but God calls us to kingdom authority at the same time. Now, let me show you. Revelation chapter 1 in verse number 5. Look at this. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So Jesus was the First begotten of the dead. So if he was the first begotten of the dead, then who is the second begotten? Who is the third begotten? The fourth begotten. Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. He was the first begotten of the dead, which means that he was at that time the only begotten Son of God. But when he was planted... He became the seed that would, eventually be, that would eventually produce a harvest of a kingdom of begotten sons to God. And the Bible said that Jesus is distinguished among us as the prince, look at this, of the kings of the earth. Anybody seeing this but me? Maybe you haven't sat under the teaching that I've sat under for so many years and I keep trying to teach this stuff to you and every time I try to teach it to you it's like people are looking at me like, huh? you got to get this because it'll change your life. It'll totally change your life. We've got to understand that we are a royal priesthood that is called into intercession on behalf of our Father and others. We've got to understand that, okay? And so we are identified with Christ and that He was the first begotten of the dead and of the prince of the kings of the earth. Now that's not talking about like the king of Guatemala or the king of England or the king of... No, that's talking about the kingdom of our God. That's talking about kingship. That's talking about holy kingship. It's the process of God restoring man back to his rightful place. The place that God created for man for. When God spoke to man, the very first thing that God said to man, the very first words out of God's mouth to man was an imperative command and here's what it was. Be fruitful and multiply. And come on, say it with me. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion. Dominion. That was God's idea. That was God's plan. Go back to Genesis, the book of the beginnings. Go back to Genesis. That was the intention of God. The intention of God was that humanity would be the God race. Now we're We're never going to attain where God is. No, no. But we have His DNA in us. In fact, we're the dwelling place of God. In fact, we're the temple of God. We're the place where God dwells. And He lives inside of us and He dwells inside of us. Therefore, when He operates in the earth today, He operates through us. That's why Jesus told the disciples, He said, when I go, He said, you need to go and heal the sick. You need to go and raise the dead. You need to go and cleanse the leper. You do it in my name. You do it in my authority. But you take the authority and the identity and the power that I have put inside of you and you take this position of royal priesthood that I've put inside of you and you go lay hands on the sick and don't plead your case before God. Take your authority and say, Sickness I command you to go in the name of Jesus and body I command you to be made whole. That's kingdom authority. That's kingdom authority. So, Jesus was and is and forever shall be the model intercessor. God's word declares that God's purpose in sending Jesus to the earth was for him to serve as an intercessor. Isaiah 59 in verse number 16 says this, and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his, His arm brought salvation unto Him and His righteousness, it sustained Him. So when Jesus came, He came as the arm of salvation, the arm of God as an intercessor and His righteousness, the righteousness of God, sustained Him. Now, Jesus as the intercessor. Now listen. Very closely, because we're going to break this down a little bit because we have to understand that Jesus was our model. He was our model as an intercessor. So, in order for us to fully understand how to be an intercessor, we have to understand how the model works. Okay? Jesus stands before God and between Him and sinful man, just as the Old Testament priest did. So, as the intercessor, Jesus is standing right now before God. Or he's seated, there's one place in the Scripture where the Bible said he's seated at the right hand of the Father, which right hand means, means the position of power and authority. So he's seated or standing at the right hand of the Father before God and he's the shield between God and sinful man. Now, listen very closely. He's the shield between God and sinful man He's not the shield between God and God's sons. We have access to God just like Jesus did. Just like Jesus does. We have access to God in the name of Jesus, obviously. And because of the blood of Jesus, but we have access to our Heavenly Father. Let me give you some scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator, which is translated intercessor, between God and men, and the Bible said it's the man Christ Jesus. Now I read that to you in the very beginning. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 34 says this, It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse number 25. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. In modern vernacular, what the Scriptures are saying is that Jesus lives for this stuff. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. He lives for this stuff. I mean, he's interceding between man and God. He's probably looking at God saying, hey, did you see that? Whoa. Because Jesus is constantly (laughs) celebrating the effects of his shed blood in the earth. The Bible said that every time that a sinner gives their life to Christ. What's the Bible say about that? It says that there's a party in heaven. Yeah. The Bible said that the angels rejoice over one sinner that gives their life to Christ. So they're having an angelic party in heaven. I don't know what they're doing. Hallelujah! I don't know. I don't know what the party looks like. But I just know there's a party going on in heaven. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. Why would they not have a party in heaven? My goodness, what they're doing is they're just receiving the harvest. They're constantly receiving the harvest and constantly receiving the harvest and it excites heaven when someone gives their life to Christ. Why does it excite heaven when someone gives their life to Christ? Because the kingdom is growing. Because there's someone else to develop. Because there's someone else that can start growing in God. Because there's someone else that can come into the revelation of sonship. Because there's someone else that can experience the power and the authority of royal priesthood and kingship and authority and dominion and power. Wow. Heaven rejoices because it's another sword in the earth against the work of the enemy. That's why they rejoice. So... He's able to save them to the uttermost. They come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And I can see it sometimes. Something happens. Somebody gets healed. Maybe get, comes off a deathbed or something like that. Jesus looks around. And he's man, I live for this stuff. Wow. Praise <laughs> God. Okay. So, so <laughs> it's the Bible. It's right there. Okay. So now let's talk about how to intercede. Okay. I'm really rushing, kind of rushing through this. This really gets good. I get cranked up about this stuff. You guys just have to bear with me. If I'm the only one in here that gets excited, I can't help it. I might just run out that door and around and come back in this and I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> How do we intercede? As intercessors following the Old Testament priestly function and the New Testament pattern of Jesus, we stand before God and between, before God and between a righteous God and sinful man. So that means that we start Praying for the lost. I'm an intercessor for the lost. Just like Jesus. I'm an intercessor for the lost. Okay. In order to be effective standing between, we must first stand before God. And when we stand before God, the intimacy is developed that makes the role of the intercessor more effective because you can't look upon Him without falling in love with Him. Intercession begins with intimacy with God. So when you start praying, and you think, okay, well, I'm just going to start praying for other people. No, no, here's what you need to do. If you're really going to move into intercession, the very first thing that you need to do is just spend some time loving on Jesus. Just just love on Jesus. Just love on Him. Lord, I just love you. Heavenly Father, I love you. How, How do we pray? We pray to God in the name of Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's how we pray. We pray to our Father in the name of Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that we can't address Jesus, but our prayers, our petition, our supplication, those types of things, they go to God in the name of Jesus With the assistance of God, Holy Spirit. Okay? So we have to, if we're gonna stand between between God and sinful man, we first must stand before God to develop the intimacy that is necessary to make this happen. I wish I had more time on that, but the Bible, the Bible uses two words to describe this ministry, and, and we've talked about royal already. But there's another one that he uses, and it's holy. Holy. The Bible calls us a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A nation of what? A nation of priests. A holy nation. Now, (laughs) listen to me. Holy living is required to stand before God. Some people say, you know, when I was growing up in church, uh, they they would say stuff about holiness all the time. So I have a, I have a friend, and, and in my opinion, their, their interpretation of holiness was just way out there. I have a friend, he's my best friend. I've had him for years and years and years. Several years ago, and I mean several years ago, probably 23 years ago, something like that. Uh, I decided that I was going to take him, and we were going to go on a little trip. He's, he's over in, in Missouri, and and um, I grew up in the foothills of the Ozarks. And so I thought, well, I'm going to take him down to Neosho. We're going to take a two-hour drive or so, three-hour drive. I'm going to show him where God called me to preach, where I was filled with the Holy Spirit, introducing him to some people. And so I took him there. And Wayne, you'll see him in a couple of weeks. He's, he's, he's my best friend, but he's the ugliest guy you'll ever see in your life. He's just ugly. He's just ugly. I mean, I, t- I tell him, I tease him all the time. I said, man, you are so ugly. Oh, and he said, well, if I was better looking, I'd have a better choice of friends. And so that's always his. You know. <laughs> Wayne's about nine years older than I am, but we've been friends for a really, really long time. Any pastors over there. And so we're traveling around, and I grew up in the Assemblies of God, and then there was a little branch that broke off of the Assemblies of God called the Holiness Assemblies of God. And the Holiness Assemblies of God were very, very strict as in, you know, the women didn't wear makeup, they didn't wear jewelry, they didn't cut their hair, they didn't wear pants, they didn't, none of that stuff. You know, they had the PhDs, the Pentecostal hairdos, you know, the higher you stacked them, the holier you were. And then, uh, you know, the men, they couldn't wear short sleeves and they couldn't wear bright clothes and they couldn't block their hair in the back and it couldn't touch their ears and no facial hair and just all this stuff that I just never did find in the Bible. So um, so we're uh, out and... I introduced him we went to this place and I introduced him to this man I don't want to say his name he might watch this sometime I don't want to offend him and um, so he was a a pastor from when I was growing up and he was one of these real harsh preachers real harsh so he looked at me and he looked at Wayne and he looked at me and he looked at Wayne and he said Johnny that's your best friend I said yeah I said he's a great guy well Wayne's got hair like right here and the reason he's got hair down like this is because he has Spock ears, you know. So he's got hair like this. And he's got hair down here like this, you know, kind of like right here and like this. Oh, man, he's, he's going to love me for telling you all this. So, so he just always wears his hair over his ears like that. And so, um, so he looked at me and he said, Well, now, Johnny, you know holiness really matters. Holiness Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. I said, you're right. I agree. Praise God. I believe in holiness. He said, no, no, no. Now, Johnny, Johnny, holiness, holiness matters. Holiness really? Holiness really matters. I said, amen, I believe it. I believe in holiness. I believe in living for God and and all of those kinds of things and all of that kind of stuff. And and he just kept going on and on. I said, let's cut to the chase. I said, you're talking about my friend's hair. Okay? I'm like 20 years old. I said, you're talking about my friend's hair. I said, let's talk about this for just a few moments, okay? I said, you guys have preached all this stuff that I can't ever find in the Bible. And I said, even if the Bible... And the Bible said, it's a shame for a man to have long hair. And you guys shouted and danced and cut rugs and ran the pews and screamed and hollered and bucked and grunted and all this kind of stuff. Saying it's a shame for a man to have long hair. You're going to go to hell. If your hair touches your ears. And I looked at him, I said... Well the Bible said it's a shame for a man to have long hair but who's to be the judge of what's long and what's short? I said now just read on down because the Bible says at the end of that chapter if anyone seems to be contentious in the churches of God today we have no such custom. I said what God was saying was have your heart right. That's what holiness is. Holiness is having your heart right. Having your heart right. Getting your heart right. Getting your spirit right. Some of those people preach so mad and they called it anointed. They weren't no more anointed. They, they was just mean people looking for a reason to scream and holler. I'm not telling you anything I haven't told them. When I was 12 years old, they set me on the altar and tried to cast the devil out of me. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. They did because I had questions. Holiness, listen to me very closely. Holiness is not how long your hair is. It's not how, long your, how short your hair is. It's not whether you wear slacks, ladies. It's not whether you wear makeup or whether you wear jewelry. It's not that. It's not that. The Bible says that a meek and a quiet spirit, a spiritual spirit in a lady is a pearl of great price. That means that God puts great value on you having the right spirit. God puts great value on us having the right spirit. Now, through the years, I've learned to not hate those people. Because they ran a whole lot of people away from God. They ran a whole lot of people right out the church door. And there's a whole lot of people that aren't living for God because of of, uh, uh, nonsense like that. Holiness, when we talk about holiness, we're not talking about what you wear and what you don't wear. We're not talking about whether you have makeup and jewelry. We're not talking about whether you... uh, All of these, we're talking about the matters of the heart. We're talking about the condition of the heart. Now, we can only live holy on the basis of the righteousness of Christ. The Bible said that Christ made us righteous. We don't earn our righteousness. We were made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And holiness is the result of righteous living. It's the result of righteous living. Now, royalty is descriptive of kingdom authority. So sometimes the priestly intercession that we do when we're talking about interceding, sometimes this priestly intercession is done with understanding. And this occurs when we speak in our native language and we pray for others and we understand what we are saying. And that's why the Bible said right here, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority. That's 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. But there are other times when we are praying and we are exercising our royal priesthood rights in kingly authority and we are interceding before God on behalf of other people and we don't know what to pray, and we don't know how to do it, and so what we do is we begin to pray, and the Holy Spirit begins to make intercession for us on behalf of others. When this happens, we're standing before God, but the Holy Spirit is speaking through us to God, praying directly to God according to His will on behalf of other people. Let me give you a scripture for that. The Bible said in Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So there are times when we are exercising this kingly authority and we are interceding for the lost or we are interceding for a brother or sister or we are standing before God on behalf of someone else and we don't know what to pray. We're out of words. We're like, God, I've already taken authority. I've already spoke your word. I've I've already put the word out there and taken the authority and Lord, I just sense in my spirit that the mountain has not moved. And when you discern that the mountain has not moved, what do you do? What do you do? You pray in the Holy Ghost. You pray in the Holy Ghost. You let the Spirit of God begin to flow through you. You let the Spirit of God begin. Well, why would I need to do that? Because you don't know what to say. This is just practical teaching. It's not hard to understand. You just don't know what to say. So the Bible said, right here, if you don't know what to say, let the Holy Ghost do the talking. So we stand before God and we begin to pray. and We don't know what to say and the tongues come. And when they come, let them flow. Just let them flow what are they going to think about me? Well, most of the time when that happens, unless you're in a group of intercessors, it's probably not going to happen in an open assembly anyway. It's probably going to be more in private. But when you're in a group of intercessors, they all understand it, so just let her fly. Just go for it. You're in the company of believers. You're in the kingdom of priests. You're, you're part of that royal priesthood. Now, verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 14 and 2 says this, He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands Him, however in the Spirit He speaks mysteries. So when we pray in the Holy Ghost, the level of our prayer elevates. It speaks God's language. Things that we don't understand if we try. We are bound we are bound with our finite imagination. We're limited. We're in the boundaries. We're within the boundaries. We're with, I'm talking about when we're praying in our flesh. We are within the boundaries of the flesh. But when we cross over into the Spirit, the boundaries are moved. And the doors are opened. So the enemy... I say this a lot, but repetition is the key to learning. The enemy will try to keep you praying with your reason. The Holy Spirit helps you pray through revelation. So that's why the Bible said sometimes we pray in the Spirit and sometimes we pray in our understanding also. So Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 12 is the last scripture. That we're going to talk about, and then we're going to get some music and go into prayer, and we're going to exercise our authority, okay? Now listen, I'm not going to do all the praying. You guys are going to have to pray. Hello. Let's do all this teaching, and then you guys sit there and say, What do I do? If you don't know what to do, let the Holy Ghost do the talk. To Colossians chapter one, starting in verse number nine. What do we pray for others? When I'm interceding for someone, who what do I pray for? All right, here we go. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and desire that to and is des, to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So, verse number nine tells us that when I pray for others, that I need to pray that they are filled with the knowledge of the Lord's will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Verse number 10 tells us that we need to pray that they walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ and that they please God in all things, in all respects. Verse number 10 also tells us that we need to pray that they bear fruit in every work. Verse number 10 also teaches us that we need to pray that they increasingly grow in the knowledge of the Lord. That's what we pray for, okay? Okay. And then verse number 11, the Bible says that when we're praying, we pray that they are strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. And then in verse number 12, we express joy, that they may express joyous gratitude to the Father for His grace, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So write that down, study it. Sometime later this week, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. And that'll help you understand better, that'll help you understand better what to pray for when you're praying for us. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number for Jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the word will work if you work the word.